Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? And a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Westside. It is an honor and a privilege to be back in the pulpit with you today. I feel like I, I haven't been here in a while. Like, it's, it's wonderful. I've been, we had a new baby, and with Corona Tide and all the craziness, right? Baby number three, we have no idea what we're doing or the, how they keep showing up, but we're figuring it out, all right? But we're here. We're here. We're praising God, right? We've got some fun stuff today in the Proverbs. Did you hear that? The sluggard? Isn't that what you wanted to be called on Sunday morning, showing up to church? Um, and even after that kid's side, those kids on the video, right, that was incredible. I don't feel like I had much to say after that. These guys are great. Well, we're back in Proverbs the second week. We're talking about work today and wisdom in work, right? That's kind of interesting. But Proverbs goes through and it talks about these, has these little pithy statements about uh, uh, wisdom, And what I want to tell you before we really dive in is that there's no ceiling on wisdom, right? There's no ceiling on wisdom. Wisdom isn't about brains or IQ. When I was going through high school and about to graduate, I almost didn't graduate. I was like number 399 of 400 in my class, right? So I had this kind of idea about myself that I wasn't a very smart person. These kind of things, when the Bible talked about this, this was for smart people who, like the kids said, get A's on their tests. That's not what wisdom is at all. Wisdom is for everybody. Later in Proverbs, it says, wisdom is like a woman standing on a street corner and telling anybody who will come past. Anybody who walks by, she's shouting these truths and these little pithy statements to them. God is in this kind of wisdom. And it's not about IQ or anything. Last night, uh, we watched the, the uh, movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like last night, I'm seeing it's like, that's it. The Oompa Loompas? Have you listened to this stuff? I don't think we could get by with these songs today, although Tyler's got some material to pull from. You know, like, anyways, wonderful stuff. Um, yeah, wisdom. Oompa Loompas, who would have thought? Little orange guys would have been spouting off the word of God. Well, today we're in in this book um, looking at what Proverbs says about work. And it's not like uh, Solomon takes and lays it all out real clear for us. There's a little snippet here and a little snippet there. So we're going to take and we're going to put all this together in a little bit. But what does wisdom have to say to our life today in 2020? Is it still 2020? It's still 2020 about work. Listen to this. Gallup is like one of the most revered and respected statistical organizations where they pull all this information specifically about work, and they said this. One-third of your life will be spent in work. 90,000 hours 
over the course of a lifetime. And you'll spend over 100 hours commuting. By the age of 30, most people will have had seven or eight jobs. And so here's where these statistics, we start to see why this is so important. When we're spending the majority of our week at work, we hear these statistics like this. 80% of workers hate their jobs. Anybody say amen? No? Okay. 80% of workers hate their jobs. And according to Gallup, 70% of American employees are slowing economic growth by not working to their full potential. 70%. Of this 70%, 52% are not engaged, and nearly 20% are actively disengaged. What does this mean in terms of dollar? dollars? According to Gallup, the 18% of employees who are actively disengaged cost around, ready for this, 500 b with a B, billion dollars. Look at all those zeros. The 18% of workers who are disengaged, this is the actual financial toll on the U.S. economy. That's mind-blowing. But I bet you don't care about that, <laughs> right? Because you're struggling with work every day, going in and showing up six days a week. You're only here for an hour, right? One hour a week to hear from God and to fellowship with his people, and the rest of the time we're spending at work. So Studs Terkel, isn't that a great name? I just wanted to say, I don't know about his quote, but his name is wonderful. Studs Terkel did a great, this big thing about working, and he said this, working is about the search for daily meaning in the struggle for daily bread. Isn't that great? Don't we come to work with something more than just wanting to pay our bills? If it was that simple, it wouldn't be that contentious for us. We wouldn't have this much love-hate relationship with our work. And most of us live somewhere between a grudging acceptance of our job and an active dislike of it. So how do we work in a way that makes our life joyful, meaningful, and in a way that we don't lose our mind? Well, I'm glad you showed up today because that's where we're going. And honestly, Proverbs doesn't have a lot of good things to say about work. It talks about the sluggard. It talks about the sloth. And he basically says, get up and go to work, right? Show up so you can pay your pill, bills and you won't be, fall into poverty. But what you have to understand is that Proverbs is coming, is being written to a people in a context, right? It's being written to Hebrews under the Mosaic Law, and they had this rhythm in the Mosaic Law. Remember, it's even in creation, and God worked for six days, and he rested on the seventh. And then Moses gives us, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. See, there's this rhythm to work. So it's, it's put in the context of someone who's working six days and then taking a rest, but what the sluggard is doing is, is extending that rest to all kinds of areas it's not supposed to be. So, like, if you fall asleep today, like, yeah, maybe, maybe that's a Kairos moment that we're going to talk about here in a minute, right? Those are fun. Um, it's in a context. So, first thing we're going to see is the sluggard in work. And the sluggard, what we're also going to hear today, is not just specifically about work. It impacts and, and creates a rhythm into every aspect of our lives. But let's hear about it uh, about this way. It's not just about resting or idleness. Because remember, it's written to a people who has a whole day that they're not allowed to work, right? It's not just about resting or idleness. It's about something deeper. This is a, a, a good description of it. Succinctly, it's a chronic quest for comfort and distraction. A chronic quest for comfort and distraction, and it creates a cycle. When we're chasing after comfort and distraction, it creates a cycle where we become bored with God, we become bored with the people around us, we become bored with our life, we become bored with all of it. All of a sudden, we don't know how to rest well and get rested because we're chasing it in every aspect of our lives. Facebook, anybody? Right? Scroll, scroll, scroll. Have you ever gone? You know you can go on your phone and go see how many hours you're spending on each app? Yeah, that's depressing. 
for me anyway, and seeing how much time. You can also set limits, like once I hit 45 minutes, my phone says, oh, you're done. But there's also that little button on the bottom, ignore for today. And then it's like, oh, we're just going to keep going. Maybe, that, maybe that's something about a, a sluggard or a sloth. Listen to this. I have two really great, great quotes of people that I thought just really gave it to us clearly. Richard John Nyhouse defines sloth as evenings without number obliterated by television, evenings neither of entertainment nor of education, but a narcotic defense against time and duty. This is the epidemic of our day. Amen? Dorothy Sayer, the sin which believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and only remains alive because there's nothing it would die for. The sluggard. And some of us can feel some of that just disenchantment with the world around us and with our job and with what we're spending so much of our life doing. But let's look at Proverbs. So what I did, as I said, it's scattered all throughout the book of Proverbs. And, but if you look at it as a whole, it almost creates this narrative of the sluggard. It shows you how he started, how he begot this way, and then where he is at today, as well as little snippets of somebody who is diligent and working hard and, and the antithesis of the sluggard. So here we go. Starts in verse chapter 6 is what you heard this morning. Turn to the ant. The chief difference between the ant and the sluggard is initiative. The ant has no chief ruler yet prepares for winter while the sluggard turns in his bed. Is anybody getting going this morning, right? I got about 6.15 and that rain started and it was just like, it was, it was poetic, right? Today I'm talking about sluggard and I'm going to hit that snooze button and roll around. That rain was wonderful. Like the hinge of a door, hitting snooze a few more times, just a few more minutes of sleep, showing that unlike the ant, he has no initiative without the constant prodding of someone else. The ant has nobody there cracking a whip telling him to get to work. And yet that's the only thing that gets a sluggard out of bed to get going and to, to do his work uh, without dragging around. And it begins as just a little. Remember what it said in, in our, our reading today. Just a little rest. Just a little slumber. A little rest, a little slumber becomes just a little bit more. It creates momentum in this direction. It creates a cycle. And then like in chapter 13, poverty then comes upon him like a robber. Before he can see that this has become the defining characteristic of his life, poverty ties him into this, uh, comes upon him like a robber. Instead of this giving the sluggard a reason to, to work, to take initiative, the only thing that increases is his craving and desire for more comfort. Excesses until he is consumed with thinking about all the delicacies he desires and then refuses to go to work. All the while, the one who is diligent begins to learn to experience satisfaction. It's this cycle that breaks our soul into not even being able to enjoy the rest that we do get. Chapter 12, the sluggard then follows more worthless pursuits. I feel like I could camp out here and talk about Netflix, binging, and video games. Like, we have more opportunity at any point in human history to be caught by the sin and the cycle and the momentum of the sluggard. Amen? Right? It's constantly at our fingertips. This is what much of the U.S. economy is based on, giving us ways to check out and distract ourselves from the, the important things that are all around us all the time. Even when the sluggard manages to land a job, they're like we find in chapter 10, to their employer, they're like vinegar and smoke to their eyes because they only put forth a half effort. Chapter 26, he begins to create excuses to defend his comical laziness. The sluggard said, there's a line in the road, there's a line in the streets, right? 
How many times have you made a pathetic, you knew it, right? You knew this was a terrible excuse to not go to work. Or you've heard it from an employee. Well, uh, I just didn't fill my car up this month. I don't know what, I got nothing. Making crazy excuses. Chapter 26, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. Even when he does manage to, to get to work and do something. Or another place in Proverbs it says, he makes the kill, but he brings it home and is unable to cook his dish or to bring his hand to his mouth to eat. And he believes despite all of this, all the evidence in his life and all the people around him saying it, that he is wise despite all the testimony around him. This creates a cycle. Seemingly unbreakable till we get to chapter 15 where we hear that the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. He's created a hedge of thorns. Really what we see is that lack of initiative creates the cycle and it eliminates every possible opportunity for the sluggard to rise above this. This is about opportunity. It's about seeing opportunity, about hearing opportunity, and being ready when the opportunity comes before us. But he's eliminated all that, and now there is just a hedge of thorns. While the person who has been working and has been diligent, the path of the upright is like a level highway. But what if my work is drudgery and meaningless? Let me say it this way. Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, right? I think we've got a picture of this guy, right? He said it this way. When it's about opportunity, he says... Speaking of opportunity, the reason why so few men recognize opportunity when it comes is that it usually goes around wearing a very dirty pair of overalls and looking like hard work, and the average man is not looking for that, right? It's about opportunity. The sluggard has created the hedge of thorns to where even if he did have an opportunity, he's not in a place where he could see it or be prepared to experience it when it shows up. But what if my work is drudgery and meaningless? What if every day when I go to work, there is no point to this work? I'm, I'm miserable here. What do I do? How do I do that? Why is, how does the slugger play into that concept? When I was in college, as I said earlier, like I almost didn't graduate high school. And then I go to college, and they're like, you know what? After a few years, I think you've got it. Why don't you just not come back for a little while? Okay? So I'm 20 years old in Joplin, kicked out of school, trying to figure out how to pay my bills and all this, and the only job I can get is through a temp agency at a place called Jasper Products. Well, Jasper Products makes really terrible milk products, okay? So like all the, the little boxed protein drinks that you see in like the gas station that you can leave on a shelf for 30 years and they're still just the same, that stuff. Or the, the coffee creamers, the, the, the fake coffee creamers, all, the, all those kind of juice. And my job, obviously I couldn't get a good enough position that's further up on the line, so I was on the very end of the line as they're coming off this conveyor belt. They've already made it and they, they won't even let me box this stuff. There, there's a machine that boxes this stuff up and I have to pick it up and put it on a pallet and stack it the way the computer screen tells me to stack it. But sometimes, as they came off the lines, that machine, particularly right at the beginning of my shift, those machines, instead of boxing it, would just smash it, right? And that chocolate, nasty stuff would go down right here in this bottom part of my shoe at the beginning of a 12-hour shift, and I would slosh around in that all day. And then imagine that smell taken off your shoe at the end of the day, right? That was drudgery. That was meaningless work that was miserable. What I didn't know was that God was creating something in me during that season. That's what the sluggard is unable to see and acknowledge, that even in drudgery, even in meaningless, even in hard work that does not seem rewarding, God's doing something in you. And the moment that you give up on that and you start to create that cycle, you start to build that hedge of thorns around us. Think of Paul. 
right? Paul, the great apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament. Do you know what he did for, for money? He didn't get paid for writing those books. Yeah, somebody might throw him a little money here and there. He didn't get paid for going around and preaching all the time. He was a tent maker. Do you remember this? He was a tent maker. Do you think Paul found tent making meaningful? Maybe. Maybe that was like his hobby, too. I don't know, but I doubt it because we don't hear much about it. Oz Guinness, in his book about calling and vocation, says it this way. Tent making at its worst is work that frustrates us because it takes time we wish to spend on things more central. But at its best, it's work that frees us to get to that which is central. By contrast, whatever is at the heart of our calling is work that fulfills us. Is your work frustrating? Is it freeing you to serve your family well? Or is it that work that fulfills you? That's a, that's a talk for another time. But know that where you're at in meaningless drudgery work, God is creating an opportunity that you will be ready for. The slugger doesn't know he's in training, right? The slugger doesn't know he's in the process of being trained up in the way of righteousness. His work, he doesn't realize, is about becoming a certain kind of person. And many of y'all here, you're, you're not the sluggard, right? You're cheering this, this, this talk on about, yeah, right? He needs to get to work. He needs to get the job. You don't work, you don't eat, Paul says. But what we see is that there's also another kind of slothfulness and sluggardliness that the, 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 the writer of Proverbs is getting at. Many of us have exchanged one form of slothfulness for an entirely different one. So the second thing is the sluggard in self. The sluggard in self. This is the other camp. And listen to this. Listen to Spurgeon. I feel like we can just quote Spurgeon this whole series as well. He, he, he preaches like a, a proverb. If I must be idle, let it be seen in my field or my garden and not in my soul. Mm. Some of us have exchanged a grown-up field of thorns and thistles in our soul for that which is the work around us. Here's one thing we have to remember. Jesus spent a whole lot of time going around and trying to get people to be honest about the reality of the state of their hearts. Because we know this about God. God's always present and at work. He's always present and at work. And the only place he will meet us is in reality. In reality. Because he is the, I don't know if this is a real word, the realest real thing there is, right? He's the ground of being. He is reality. That's the only place he can meet us. And some of us, instead of being a sluggard in our jobs, have created a sluggardness in our hearts to where we are unable to hear God in our reality. So we're going to talk about something this morning in this, this portion, the sluggard itself. It's going to be language that we're going to start to drip over the next year at Westside. This is something that we as some leadership have been going through with, a, with Gravity Leadership, a group that we brought in. It's kind of coaching us through some things. And they taught us this, the word kairos. Ready? We're going, to, we're going to hear a lot of this over the next year. And we find it first in Mark 1, where it says, The time, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. Time. So in the Greek language, there are two words for time. There's chronos, C-H-R. I think we have a slide for this. Chronos, which is like where we get our word chronological. It's like what time is dinner? What time are we going to go do that? It's the, the marching of time, the progressive one thing after another. And then we also have this word kairos. This is a little bit different. This is the word that's used in this, this Mark 1 verse. The time has come that the kingdom of God is near. This is a, a unique place in time. 
These are specific places in reality where all of a sudden the kingdom of God comes here. They're pregnant with opportunity. They're pregnant with possibility. It's used to name a doorway into perceiving the activity of God around us. Perceiving the activity of God around us. So I know it's a little bit ambiguous, but here's what it is. It's about all of a sudden when I'm at work and this one person walks in my door, all of a sudden I get really tense and anxious. Kairos moment. Hmm. What's that about? It's being compassionately curious about little things in our heart. It's about paying attention to the state of our heart. Most often, it shows up in anxiety or anger, right? When, you're, when, when you try to control that employee or that friend or that person around you and you realize, I'm really trying to force them into or telling them or I feel like I have to defend something right now, Kairos moment. We take a break, we rest, we listen, pay attention to what God is doing in our hearts. Those are Kairos moments when all of a sudden we notice I'm really agitated with my spouse right now. Instead of plowing through that and just being mad and blowing up, we take a minute to check in with our heart. God, what is going on here? What are you doing? What am I denying? Where am I seeking my security, my significance, my belonging apart from the finished work of Jesus? That's really what it's about. And many of us who are slothful in ourself, so sluggard in ourself and not in our work, are seeking to attain our security, our significance, or our belonging there. And all of a sudden, if something doesn't go right there, we have an employee who's not quite meeting the grade, or somebody's trying, whatever, we notice this anxiety and this control and this, this fear rise in our hearts, Kairos moment. We have to listen to God in these moments. We can trust God with our spiritual transformation, with being a disciple, just by listening to our Kairos moments. Because that's where God wants to meet us, in the reality of the everyday state of our heart. And when we ignore this stuff, the, the hedge of thorns no longer becomes about our job and our progress out there. It becomes in our state of our heart and our ability to be emotionally mature and to hear what God is doing and to love people well. And it plays itself out into so many relationships in our life. So instead of paying attention to that, what do we do? We create the hustle, right? We got that hustle that we're creating, expending loads of energy by hiding, performing, pretending, putting up that, that air, that facade of having it all together. That's where we spend our, our energy instead of getting to the, the, the root of it. Instead of recognizing and being honest with ourselves about our actual state of being. Maybe this will help. There's a story in the Gospels that really uh, paints this picture of Kairos moments, I believe, really well. And it has to do when, when Jesus goes to the house of Mary and Martha. Do you remember the story? It's in Luke 11. Let me just read it and I'll make some comments as we go. Luke chapter 11, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Agitation. Left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. What we see here is that, that Martha is creating this image, is working hard to gain significance and belonging in front of Jesus and is mad when somebody else leaves her and doesn't come in along her and she isn't able to control him. Anxious and troubled in her spirit. Kairos moment. Pay attention. 
pay attention. Your heart's off base somewhere, and God wants to meet you right there. Not in some powerful Sunday service, while he does do that too. Not on that song on the radio, while he might do that too. He might use those to get your attention, but he wants to meet you right there where you've denied him in your heart, in the reality of the thorns that you've created. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. God will always give you opportunity to hear the Kairos moments if you're willing to go there with him. If not, welcome to the life of the sluggard. Maybe it's not in your work. Maybe it's in your soul. The life of the sluggard, Kairos opportunities. And repentance is only this. Repentance is just agreeing with God about that reality and inviting him into it. It's nothing crazy. It's nothing hard. It is hard, but it's nothing that requires all this crazy amount of, it's just agreeing with God about the reality of our soul and asking him into it. The third thing is this. Proverbs doesn't just leave us with bad pictures of work. It gives us the ultimate pictures of work, the wise worker. And as a matter of fact, it doesn't just drip that through the whole Bible, or through the whole book of Proverbs. It caps it off. The end of Proverbs is this beautiful picture of the life of someone who is not only a wise worker, but has incorporated all these sayings of wisdom into the rest of their life. And one thing I don't know if you noticed, when we talked about in chapter 6, the ant, it said, she. The ant, she works diligently. And, and works for the, for the winter that's coming up. Every time we hear of wisdom in Proverbs, it's in the feminine. It's really interesting. It tells me not only, one, I'm surprised the women aren't saying amen right now, right? right? You, you women got something on us. Yeah, right, there we go. I knew we'd have something. But it tells me that that is the picture of the perfection of wisdom. So many of you ladies have gone through a study at some point or another in Proverbs 31, right? And the men have just kind of, oh, that's what my wife's supposed to be like. No, no, <laughs> this is a picture of wisdom. Pay attention, right? This is what it looks like. Ladies, I want to say one more thing before we read this. Some of you have approached Proverbs 31 as a checklist, as a mark of success or failure, that if you're not hitting all these or at the end of a long life or a long day that you don't experience or didn't do it that well, that you haven't made it, that's not it either. That's not it either. This is something, a picture that we strive for. None of us are ever going to hit all these marks right off the bat. Have you ever been in a big traffic jam? I mean, you're driving through Chicago or something, and you, you, you hit a traffic jam, and you're sitting there creeping along, and you look over to your right, and it says speed limit 65 miles an hour. And that just feels oppressive, right? That's what it's like going to Proverbs, and look at, to Proverbs 31 and expecting that to be a checklist of things accomplished. No, that's not what it is at all. So with that, let's hear from, from Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, I'm just going to read this, this whole section aloud. The woman who fears the Lord, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. Initiative, working while the sluggard's turning. 
With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the staff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor. She's generous. She reaches out with her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes her bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, right? This is a woman. Does she sound like, like, like she's a miserable person? And she's working hard, right? Does this sound like, like she's joyful? Yeah. Does it sound like she worked her butt off? Yeah. Here's the big idea that we're seeing in Proverbs. It's this. A life that we would call blessed is first dressed for work. A life we would call blessed is first dressed and ready to work. Whether that is in our job, showing up, and creating an opportunity for God to do something in us there, or it is paying attention to the work that God's wanting to do in our soul, in our heart. It's first dressed in work. You want a life that's joyful and purposeful. And that at some point, we, that somebody and your children will rise up and call you blessed. It's first dressed in work. I have three people that I, I want to, to speak to directly this morning. Three people that I want to hear the words of the Lord in this. And first, it's those of you who work at home. Those of you that are home with those babies with that diaper pail that is still overflowing and the smell is horrendous, right? God's doing something there incredible. And even though the days are long and it's thankless and it's dirty, God's there in it. God's doing something in you and in the people around you. Be diligent in that work. The second person is this, those who can't work. This could be one of three people. Maybe, maybe this is a disability that has kept you from doing the work that you most desire to do. You're anything but slothful or sluggard, but for some reason your body has, 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 is not cooperating. Or maybe, maybe you're retired, and the work that you desire to do or is, is behind you. You were not a sluggard, but now you find yourself in this place where that's not a reality either. Or in this, this economic climate right now, Maybe it's by forces outside of your control that you're laid off and you're without work. Proverbs has something to say to you too, but it's a little bit different. It's paying attention to Kairos moments, yes, but it's learning to trust God in that season because even in this season, God is doing something in you and creating something in you. Listen, Proverbs 3. It was the kid's memory verse for today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways... Acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Commit your work to the Lord in chapter 16 and your plans will be established. Lean on God during these seasons. Lean on God. And for the, lastly, the third person, maybe you are working hard 
And those days are long. And you're weary in your work. You're weary of what you're doing. But God is still there doing something. You're working hard. And what we hear in Proverbs is that that creates a life that's prepared to be blessed as long as we're not shoving down and being a sluggard in the other aspects of our life. Those are the two ways we pay attention to what God is doing. And we open ourselves up to what he, is, he wants to accomplish in our life because we know this. And this is where we're going to close today. Christ's commands are never detached from his character. His commands are never detached from his character. So lastly, let's hear the word of Jesus when he talks to us. Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's real rest. Not the rest of the sluggard. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A few questions this morning as we close. Where in your life have you created a hedge of thorns? Is it in how you are being diligent with the, the things that you've been entrusted with, your work around you? Where have you created a hedge of thorns that instills fear, locking you in the pattern of a sluggard? Maybe you're scared to go to that place in your heart where you know God is calling you to, and the kairos moments that you keep shoving down are about to overrun you. Jesus tells you his burden is easy and his yoke is light, and he's calling you to go there because that is where he wants to meet you. Are you chasing comfort detached from work? Is it in work that you're doing to distract you from those moments that God is trying to take you into? Where are you attaching your significance, your security, or belonging apart from the finished work of Jesus? Our God is a good God who only ever meets us in reality. Therefore, once more, hear the words of the Lord. Come to me, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for yourself. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you've declared your glory and show forth your work in heaven and on earth. Lord, we ask that you deliver us in all our works and occupations from the service of self alone that we may do the work you give us to do in truth and beauty and for the common good, for the sake of him who came among us as one who serves. Your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And now, as Christ taught us, we are bold to proclaim, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever.